All right, everybody say it again. Things are going to change. And wasn't it great to have all these guys up here worshiping like that? How many men out there got the hard elbow? You're going next week. <laughs> it's worth it. It's worth it. So today I want to wrap up the series that we, where we've been talking about um, how God can change everything, right? How many know that God can change everything? Hasn't it been fun reading about people in the Bible who God just completely transformed their whole situation? I mean, for me, it was fun. I, I enjoyed it, so at least I have got that going for me. And, but, but anyway, uh, it, it's interesting to see how other people's stories can relate to ours and how we can read about how God can transform some, somebody's life and we can compare that directly to our own lives and we can see that there's transformation for us, right? So, so we want things to change. Today, I'm going to change gears, though. For the last five weeks, I've been talking about how God is saying that, that things are going to change. God is saying, hey, uh, there, there are things that I've got in store for you, and I, and I want things to change. But how many know that in order for things to change, at one point or another, we have to say things are going to change, right? We've got to be the ones to say, I don't want to be this way anymore. I want things to change. So everybody say, things are going to change. So today I want to look at uh, not just one person in the Bible. I want to actually look at the people we've talked about already. And I want to look at the areas where, where their lives changed. And how we can look at it and say, okay, what happened in this pivotal moment in their lives that, that was a catalyst for God to do the change he wanted to do, and how does that apply to us today? So really the question that we're looking at is, how do I experience change? So before I get into it, um, I, I want to pray and just let the Lord lead this thing. So let's bow our heads. Father, thank you so much for each and every person here. God, I thank you for, uh, for these men and the leaders that, that spent this last four days together and God, we just pray that, that uh, chains have been broken and that new foundations have been laid. And God, that, that these men are coming home to their families and, and to uh, their lives, to their situations on fire for you. And God, we pray it's a fire that doesn't go out. and Instead, it's a fire that catches everywhere it goes and turns into your fire moving all over this place. And so God, uh, we just thank you for that. God, as we get into your word, as we begin to talk today about how, how we can make the choice to change, God, I pray that you give us ears that hear your voice. Give us hearts that understand your words. And God, let, give us minds that want to live out what your words are saying about us. God, you know, give me wisdom and lead me as I, as I talk today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I'd like to give you all a chicken update. You guys, is that okay? Now, if you haven't been here, uh, I've been talking about uh, I just I give a little chicken update every week. We have chickens. And uh, if you didn't know this, uh, we've only got seven left due to the circle of life. And um, so... Uh, we have seven, and for some reason there is one chicken that six of them have just, like, ostracized. And this one chicken uh, is all by itself. And they're not really chickens. They're guinea hens, which is, a, which is a, a chicken, but way uglier, okay? They're weird, weird birds. People are like, you can't call those chickens. Well, too bad. It's easier. Nobody understands birds or hens or whatever. So they're chickens. Everybody say chicken. All right. I don't know why you repeat that, but I did. So we got this one lone one we call Lone Ranger because he's all alone. And I discovered something this week that might be an answer to the Lone Ranger's issues. Apparently, guinea hens mate for life. And so I'm pretty sure the six are all pairs. <laughs> and the Lone Ranger really is the Lone Ranger. 
I feel really bad. I feel like I like, need to get another guinea hen. And like, I need to set up an arranged marriage. <laughs> Speaking of arranged marriages, Dom is looking for someone uh, to help host small groups uh, in a couple weeks. Love you, bud. He does have a bunch of kids, though. You never know. Uh, no, he's looking for people to host small groups and to want either want to host in their home and let somebody else facilitate or also facilitate small groups. They're going to be starting up here in a few weeks. And um, it's not that we don't have small groups. It's that we want to have more small groups. We want to have a lot of places for people to connect because in a, a connection-lost world, other than media, but in a personal connection-lost world, I think it's important that we start to reconnect. And so, uh, so anyway, if you're interested in, uh, in being a leader or having your home be a host home or, or, or hosting one, kind of facilitating, uh, talk to Pastor Dom. Uh, he's the guy that was just on that video, the no video, and uh, he'll be walking around after service. And it, for everyone else, find a coop and get in a group, right? Because it's important that we have the right people around us. Amen? Okay. So uh, what is it that causes us to really see change? in our lives with God? What is it? It's a good question. Undoubtedly, you have experienced in either your own life or you've seen somebody else who has tried faith. I mean, you're at church today, right? Maybe you're not at church today. You're at home and you're watching because you're wondering. You've seen people who've tried faith but seen very little results. And you've seen people who've tried faith and seen huge results. So there has to be something that one of them is doing different than the other one. There has to be something. And so that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about how we really change. And I actually want to look at the people we've already talked about. And I want to look at, like I said, the pivotal moment where everything changed for them. You guys ready for this? Me too. Isn't that great? Uh, so anyway, so, so the first week we talked about Jacob. Everybody say Jacob. You remember Jacob, is, uh, it was also renamed Israel, and God named all of his people the Israelites, right? And, uh, and so all of, uh, all of God's people for all of history were, were named after this guy. You'd think Jacob had to be a good guy to be named or have the same name. God used his name to name all the people, but actually Jacob is a liar, he's a cheater, and he's a thief. Jacob stole his brother's birthright, and he stole his brother's inheritance. Historically, the firstborn son would be the one to inherit all of his father's livelihood and everything and carry on the legacy. But Jacob, really sneaky-like, goes in and he steals it away from his dad, right, or from his brother, right before his dad passes away. So he's, he's a dirtball, right? He's a terrible person doing this kind of thing. So why in the world would God use him? It's because God changed the entire course of his, his, of his life, of, of history, and God's legacy in a moment with him. You remember many times in the Bible where people would talk about the forefathers of our faith. They would name Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and who again? Jacob. So he not only are all of God's people named after his other name that God gave him, Israel, but also Every time it's mentioned, the forefathers of the faith that, that worships God the Father, the Creator, is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So what caused Jacob to change? So right after he steals his inheritance from his brother, he goes out into the desert, and he decides 
to go to sleep because that's what people do at night. And so he uses uh, a rock as a pillow, which is probably telling you about his wit. And, uh, and he has this dream. So I want to read it to you. This is, this is the moment where everything changes. Genesis 28, 12, it says, He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Uh, they didn't have escalators back then, but if they did, they would just said there was a heavenly escalator in his dream. And uh, they, they called it a ladder or a stairway. Verse 13, it says, There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of who? Not yet. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Verse 15, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. In other words, I'm, I won't leave you until all of it is done that I've just mentioned. So Jacob wakes up. And he's like, nah, God, I'm out. Forget it, right? He could have. Jacob wakes up, and he's faced with a choice. Anybody have a weird dream and wake up and decide, I'm going to live that exact weird dream I just had, right? But he wakes up, and he's got a choice to make. Am I going to trust what I feel the Lord just told me? Or am I going to go on living like a liar, a cheater, and a thief? See, this is what changes everything for everyone is that we have to make a choice to trust God. You and I, we have to make a choice. Everybody say, it's a choice. choice. You've got to make a choice to trust God. I've had a lot of conversations, especially lately with people about faith and especially conversations about uh, with people who are saying, you know, there's so much injustice in the world. There's so many things wrong in the world. How in the world can you really believe that God is loving, that God is real? How in the world can you really say that God is who, he, who, who the Bible says he is? I have family members on, on Facebook, of all places. Now, I have, I have family members who, who are not big fans of the way the world is and who struggle with the concept that God is love. How can you say that God is so loving and then he lets people go to hell? If God loves humans so much that he would send somebody to die for them, his own son, wouldn't he just let everybody go into heaven? It's a nice thought, but it's not reality. The, the fact of the matter is, is God is looking for people to make a choice. He's looking for people who are choosing to be devoted to him. For you and I to make a choice to trust him. And so this is what happened. Jacob wakes up. And if you read the next part of the story, he, he says, I will go with you. I will do what you want me to do. I will follow you. And because he chooses. Now, we already knew that God had a plan for him because God lays it out to him. But it was his choice to get up and say, I will go. And everything changes in that moment. Things are going to change. Now, Jacob's name is the name of the people, God's people, and when we talk about the forefathers of our faith, we talk about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So the second week we talked about Gideon, everybody say Gideon. You remember Gideon? Gideon was the weakest guy on the smallest tribe. 
This is not a guy you would call for help. Think about it. If you were back then and you needed help on, on your land with the harvest or building a, a house or, or you needed help in any situation, you're not going to call the weakest guy from a group of people that's the smallest. You're going to call people who have lots of resources and are strong. And so this, this guy's got nothing going for him, yet God says to him, I'm going to choose you to be a mighty warrior that's going to lead this army, our army, against a million-plus soldiers who are coming at us. Why would God choose this? It's because he knows things are going to change, right? And, and so what is it that causes him to choose to be a warrior? To, to, if you remember the story, he takes 300 soldiers against an army of more than a million and they defeat them without even trying, okay? So what is it, though, that causes Gideon to go, yeah, I'll do that. That's, I mean, that sounds like a great idea. 300 God? Okay, I saw the movie once. And, <laughs> like, like what, what makes a guy say, I think I can go against a million people with 300 so boldly? It's because something changed in him. So there was a point in his life where God asked him to do something smaller, and he decided to give God a chance. We've got to make a choice at some, at some point or another to give God a chance. If you remember the story, God says, hey, I want you to go into the city, and I want you to cut down that pole where they worship that pagan god. It's called an Asherah pole. I want you to cut it up into pieces and build an altar out of it, and I want to take you to go and take your dad's best livestock, and, and I want you, to, the one he's probably saving for Christmas dinner, and I want you to, to, to put it on and sacrifice it on the altar. Now, Gideon knows that if he does this, this is a death sentence. That he's going to die. Because all of the people in the city, that's, that's a crime that's punishable by death. And so he's, he's back at, at, at the wine press where God came to him and he's thinking about this. And he's going, okay, if I give God a chance here and he protects me, then maybe I can actually do what he's saying to do. So he does it. And he sees God protect him. And when God protects him, when he gave God a chance and God does come through for him, it builds his faith. And then when it's time to call the army, he's like, give me that trumpet. And he calls in the army from all around. And he's like, let's go get this million man army because I know when God is for me, no one can be against me. And he, and he has a boldness rise up in him because he knows that when he gave God a chance to come through, God comes through. So i got to challenge you. When's the last time you gave God a chance? What I mean is, when's the last time that you felt in your heart, like, I need to go talk to that person, or I need to call that person, or I think God might be telling me to pray for that person, right? You know, it always happens in the weirdest places, like Walmart, right? And you're, you're sitting there looking around, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm in Walmart, and God wants me to go talk to that person over there. And if I do that, somebody's going to take a picture of me and put me on that People of Walmart website. And <laughs> just can't, I can't handle that, right? You know the nerves, and you're like, your heart's pounding and all of that, and so many of us walk away. Because you've done it. And you got in your car, and you went, man, I wonder if I missed a chance there. That's exactly what I'm talking about. You are Gideon. And God is saying, do this. Do this small thing for me and let me show you how I can come through. Got to give God a chance. Because when God does come through, it builds our faith. And I'm just telling you this, the world needs more Christ followers out there giving God a chance. This world right now is broken and it needs more of you and me out there giving God a chance every day. 
Because we're not going to see revival happen. We're not, we say God of revival. Yeah, God can do revival. He can do amazing things. He can change the whole world. But guess who he needs to help do it? He needs you and I to be the voice. He needs you and I to go out and fight the, the bigger than a million man army with only 300. And know that when God is for me, for me none can be against me. We've got, we've got to step up. We've got to, we've got to do it. We've got to try. So I want to challenge you to give God a chance. And when you do it, it'll give you the realization that God is actually there with you. Which brings me to Elijah. Everybody say Elijah. Not to be confused with Elisha. Elijah. Remember Elijah? He was afraid and alone, hiding in a cave in the mountains. I think many of us feel like we've been alone in a cave, right, for a while. And, and he, like, wants to die. He thinks there's no point of living and, and so what is it that got Elijah out of his funk, right? What is it that got him out of that? It was that God explains to, explains to Elijah that he always has a plan. Say God has a plan. I got lots of repeats going today. I feel good. I'm stretching it out. All right. And I feel like if you're weird, I'm in a sweatshirt. I feel like I'm getting ready to work out. So just make you guys repeat a lot of things. So what is it that gets him out of it? It's that God has a plan. And I think this is... a a good in, in a well it's good that God has a plan but people it's it's a bad thing because a lot of people when they're going through hardship and they go to somebody for support they go well God must have a plan yeah but what is the plan I don't know but God must have a plan and that's like the most like neutral answer you can give to anybody that gives them no direction God didn't do that to Elijah he said I want you to go to exactly this city and I want you to anoint exactly this person and then I want you to go here and do exactly this and then I want you to go anoint this guy Elisha I know his name's really close to yours Elijah and people are going to confuse you forever and you're not going to get credit for the things you did and he isn't and all that but doesn't matter this guy's going to get a double portion of what you got he's going to like totally change the world uh, because I have a plan, so get off your butt and get out of the cave. I think that if you will honestly and earnestly seek God, that he'll give you a plan for your life that has direction. You might not have the plan of the end, but kind of like driving a car down a foggy road, you can see far enough to drive. And eventually the sun burns the fog off, and you can see where you're supposed to go. We have to trust that he has a plan. We have to trust that he, he has more than what you're stuck in right now. He always, always has a plan. It doesn't always look the way that we think it's going to look. It doesn't always feel the way we think it should feel. Sometimes life is frustrating or scary or whatever, but if we'll trust God and, and we'll look for his plan, even in the midst of our trials and our situations, we can make it through. You can make it through this. Because God does have a plan for you. And you might not know it exactly right now, but you can honestly and earnestly seek him. And he will reveal plans for your life, specifics, and you'll see it happen as you move in his direction. Week four, I talked about blind Bartimaeus. You guys remember this guy? What changed for Bart? Well, Bart had people around him who told him to be quiet, to sit down, to shut his mouth. But there was a different group of people who came into his life who said, oh, no, no, no. Jesus wants you. Get up. Come over here. Don't stop shouting. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Don't stop shouting it, Bart. Because even though you're blind, you can make it through this crowd. If you just listen to our voice, 
Keep coming this way. Can you, I, I love that analogy that I, I use. Can you imagine blind Bart getting up and running towards Jesus, running into the crowd of people all over the place? It had to look like ping pong going down the road. But he says, I'm going. He started listening to different voices, and some of us need to stop surrounding ourselves with voices of people who are saying, sit down and be quiet. I mentioned before that I have family who don't, who don't believe the same way that, that I believe, and I've got uh, quite an extensive family who are very opinionated. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, when we still get together, we still love each other all the same. We, we have a great time together. But on Facebook, that's a whole different story. And, uh, and so, you know, I get together with these family members who are really like at a war over, over their words and saying all kinds of things back and forth, telling each other they need to stop talking, all this stuff. And you know what? My family members who are believers, who are struggling with uh, some, some family members who are speaking against it, you know what they did? They unfriended him. They said, I don't need to see that. I don't need to hear that. I need people around me, and I want to see the Facebook posts of people around me who I know are going to lift me up, and they're going to help me come closer to the Lord, right? Hmm. Let me say this. Let's go back to the chickens, because I like the chickens. I got that single chicken, six other mate-for-lifers, that single chicken is one of the most annoying chickens I've ever seen, ever. Maybe that's why the group doesn't like them. But the, the reason why it's annoying is I think that that chicken, that guinea hen, thinks that there's other guinea hens in the wild. Because all day he calls for, for somebody to come and be in his group. Caca! 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 He never stops all day. And I look out the window and I'm like, hey! Zip it! Ga-ga! My neighbors have got to hate me. Ga-ga! It's nonstop. I'm like, oh my goodness. But my neighbor did have a couple guinea hens that got loose and now live in the woods. And I think all day long my guinea hen is like, come be with me. Be part of my group. Be part of my group all day long. And here's a problem in church is if we don't fit into one group, we just quit. Listen, it's not on anybody else if you're all alone if you don't try you got to get out in that foyer. you got to start shaking hands or high-fiving or holy elbow bumping or whatever because of COVID. I don't care what it is. You need to get out there and you need to talk to some people. And you need to find yourself a group. Expecting everybody to just come around you all the time and always seek you out is not reality. It's people who connect that are connected. So get out of the cave. Caca somebody. <laughs> Figure out what call you got to make for them to come around you. And get in a group with people. And, and you know what? There are people who have a group, who are Christians, Christ followers, and you don't fit in their group. And that is okay. I'm not saying you need to be clicky. That's not okay. We need to love and accept every person and, and, you know, just the way that Jesus does. But it's understandable that certain people jive with their personalities and create a friendship. You will find people if you will never give up into the wilderness. But the moment you stop is the moment you accept being alone. Don't listen to those people who say sit down and be quiet. Keep calling. 
Keep searching. Surround yourself with the right people. I love the statement I've been using a lot. Surround yourself with people who are running so hard for God that you're just struggling to keep up. Which brings me to Nicodemus. Nicodemus had his people. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, part of the leading group of the religion. He was the top of the top. You know, people say, I want to be like Mike. People back then said, I want to be like Nick. Because Nick was like the best of the best. He was part of this ruling council. And you had to be perfect to be on it. He had his people. But what he realized is that he was still missing something. That he wanted more. Everybody say more. More. And so Nick, in the middle of the night, not because he's a coward, but because he doesn't want any distractions he knows that if he gets seen on the way to Jesus, there will be people who stop him. He'll probably get arrested. He'll, probably, his, he'll be kicked off the Sanhedrin. All that stuff is a big deal. But in the grand scheme of things, what's a bigger deal is that he wants to get into the presence of Jesus. And so in the middle of the night, with no distractions, nobody there to stop him, nobody there to question him, he sneaks through the night, and he gets in the presence of Jesus. I would like to point out something. He went to Jesus. Jesus didn't sneak through the night to him. He made a choice to pursue Jesus. And when he gets in the presence of Jesus, he finds out that Jesus is willing to give it all so that everybody could be saved. And even more than that, Jesus has something more, like Nicodemus thought. He's got the spirit in him. And he says, you can have this too. And Nicodemus learns about a power that nobody else has had until that moment. He realizes that someday he's going to get to have the power of the Holy Spirit in his life, and things are going to change. You have to want more. You have to want more. In first service, because the guys weren't here, we did a different break before that, that second song, God of Revival, and Carrie talked about revival, and it was powerful. She shared about how the, defini- the definition of revival is, is improving it's improving on what you have. People think revival is a tent, right? <laughs> they think it's, like she said, fire and brimstone, right? You're going to hell in a handbasket. Let's come back to the Lord. People think that's what revival is, but the definition of revival is an improvement. we got to want more. we got to want to improve and grow our relationship with God. That is revival. That's what Nicodemus wanted, and that's what he found. So last week we talked about a guy whose name is hard to pronounce, Mephibosheth. And he had been dealt a really bad life. And actually, I found out some information that I didn't know. I had lacked some study. I thought I had, I thought I had all my, my ducks in a row before I taught this service last week. Um, but I had mentioned that, that he was crippled from birth. It said his legs didn't work. And um, some really great friends of mine, uh, who, they're like, it's one of our favorite stories in the Bible. And there's a really cool scripture that says how his legs stopped working. And I was like, what? So third service got the, got the whole story. But uh, get this. Mephibosheth, his legs worked when he was born. But when he was five years old, his nanny was in such a hurry to leave and evacuate the city because King Saul was losing and was dying in the war that she fell on top of him and broke his legs. So he's been dealt like the worst life. He's crippled because of an accident. 
by a person who's supposed to take care of him in the midst of his grandfather, who's the king, dying, and now he's being brought before David to be executed because he's part of the previous regime, Saul's regime of king, being the king. And, and what's he do? Instead, King David doesn't execute him. He gives him grace and mercy and says, come be part of my family. He adopts him into his family. So what did Mephibosheth have to do? All he had to do was say, I accept the mercy and the grace that you're giving me, King David, and I want to be part of your family. But you know what he could have done? He could have said, absolutely not. He could have spit in his face. He could have said, you're the reason why my whole life's gone to hell in a handbasket. You're the reason why my legs are broken because of that war and my nanny fell on my legs. You're the reason I never got to be a fully functional man and really stand up and, and be next to my father and my grandfather in the war and be worth something. You're the reason that, that I'm standing here today. Not standing. You're the reason why I'm here today. That was totally unintentional, but it was funny. It's okay. He could have pointed his finger at King David and refused the grace that he was showing him. You know what a lot of people do to God? They go, well, you're in charge of the whole world. So it's your fault that I have all these problems in my life. It's your fault that, I, that my life's falling apart. It's your fault that my marriage didn't work. It's your fault that my kids are struggling. It's your fault that I had abuse in my life. It's your fault. But Mephibosheth doesn't do that. He says, I'll accept that grace and mercy. He moves his entire, everything he's got. He does have a child. He moves everything to the city. And he becomes part of King David's family. And he sits at King David's table with his sons every day, every meal. And he's provided for. God wants you to sit at his table. But you have to accept his grace. You have to accept his mercy. And you have to say, I want to be part of the family of God. So all of these things are things that can cause change in your life that you're, you're really looking for. It's, it's choosing God. It's surrounding yourself with the right people. It's, it's knowing that he has a plan. It's deciding that you want to have more. It's accepting God's gifts, gift of grace. It's all of that. But the truth is, you won't remember any of those points after lunchtime today. It's true. They did a study where they had people interviewed after they went to lunch and asked them what the pastor's points were that morning and they couldn't remember. Isn't that crazy? Except for the ones that took notes. They pulled out their notes and like, yep, point number one was this and point number two was that. And, but they don't remember. And, and guys, I'm not upset about that because here's the reality. It's hard to change. You've lived your whole life thinking, acting, and doing things the way that you've done them. And so the natural inclination of man is as soon as you're outside of a short-term situation, you go back to and remember the things that you've done before. And you tend to want to revert right back to living those things. The, the thing is, our old lives are a real problem, aren't they? Everybody say, Amen, Pastor Ross. Right? Our old lives are a real problem. Because we are steeped in our old lives. We are... we we. We have been marinated in them, if you will. Now everybody's thinking about grilling. Our old relationships, giving up relationships with people who are not the right people is hard. And we have our excuses. 
We have our reasons why. Well, they're family or they're friends or we, you know, we've went through all these things together and all of this stuff. But the fact of the matter is, if they're not bringing you closer to God, they're bringing you closer to hell. I don't need to mince words today. And the fact of the matter is, too, is that looking towards the future God has for you is harder than looking towards the future that's physically right in front of you. It's easy for us to sit around and talk. We could talk for hours today and speculate what the future is going to look like in the, on the earth. Are we going to stay in school with our kids? Are we going to have a real election on, in November? Uh, you know, is Ferris really going home at Thanksgiving? We hope not. <laughs> but, you know, like what, what, it's easy to look at the physical. And it can be hard to see what the Spirit is trying to tell you, show you. So uh, for most of my life, if you were to ask me what my favorite food is, I would probably say shrimp. Do you like that transition? <laughs> I'd probably say shrimp. It was like at the top of my list. I love shrimp. Anybody really like shrimp? I love shrimp. I love coconut shrimp. I love shrimp scampi, shrimp kebab, <laughs> shrimp jambalaya. I like shrimp, all right? Peel and eat shrimp. I'll eat shrimp anyway. Cajun shrimp. Like, I'll eat it, okay? You ever try a crayfish? Doesn't even compare. We call them crawfish down south. So a few years ago, I was eating uh, shrimp jambalaya with Pastor Dwayne Vanderklok from Granville Res, who's going to be speaking here next Sunday, actually. Yeah, and uh, he's going to be with us, so be here. It's going to be awesome. He's excited. So, But a couple years ago, I was eating shrimp jambalaya with him, and I got done eating it, and I started to have trouble breathing. And I'm like, it was like really bad. And my wife's like, I I'm going to take you to the hospital. I'm like, no, I'm doing fine. I promise. You know, I've always been one of those tough it out guys. You know, you you're like, you're sure your leg is broken. You're like, walk it off. I'm just going to walk it off. You know, that's, that's been me my whole life. Like, no, nope, I'm not going in. And uh, so anyway, what I, I developed a shrimp allergy and like a genius, I would still try to eat shrimp all the time. And every time I'd eat shrimp, I'd get sick or I'd have this air constriction. And it was just, it was, it was causing all kinds of pro problems in my life until I finally chose to stop eating shrimp. <laughs> but you know what the problem with, with doing that is when you have to stop eating your favorite food in the whole world? It's every time you look at a menu, what do you see? Like... You go to a restaurant and everything that looks good on the menu has shrimp in it. I'm like, it's got shrimp in it. No, it's got shrimp. My wife, we go to the sushi restaurant. She gets the shrimp in the roll, which the one used to be my favorite. And I'm like, oh, she's like, I'm sorry. <laughs> Thanks, babe. <laughs> Seemed everywhere I looked, it's always just shrimp, 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 shrimp. This is a very spiritual moment we're having here. Just wait. You know, you know what made me change and not even care if I had shrimp ever again in my life? Is when I realized it was a life or death situation. Guys, your faith is a life or death situation. It is a life or death situation. How do you change? It's when you realize this is life or death. Yeah, you might not, it might not be that you're going to walk out of here today and you're going to die because you didn't really commit to the Lord fully. But in the long run, it's death. You stick with those old friends, it's death. You stay in that old life, it's death. You surround yourself with the wrong people, 
You choose not to trust God. And if every story we read in the last five weeks, every single one of them, the alternative to them following the Lord was death. So it makes the situation a little easier, right? When you know death is the alternative. But because God has shown us grace, it's easiest for us to take advantage of that grace and continue to live a life of sin a life that's not devoted to him because we don't really see it as death but ultimately it's a life or death situation you know what's crazy I don't even think about eating shrimp anymore I don't even think about it I don't go to a restaurant and I, I don't, they look at that and it doesn't even sound like good to me anymore Coconut shrimp was like my favorite thing ever with that marmalade sauce stuff. You get a red lobster, coconut, whatever that was. What? That was so good, right? The other day I went fishing, salmon fishing on, on a boat with my cousin and my uncle, and they show up with a bucket of coconut shrimp. Like, hey, you want one? I was like, no, you idiots. How many times do I have to tell you I can't eat shrimp? And they're like, oh, that's right, more for us. I'm like, that's great. I brought my own food. Thank you. Scratch the idiots thing from the video before you put it up. <laughs> oh, it's live. No. Um, no, it really didn't faze me. Why? Because I realized that life overshadows shrimp. And the fact of the matter is, if you really want to see God change your life, you have to realize that life with him has to overshadow everything else. This is a life or death situation. If you want God to change your life, you have to want it more than anything on this, in this earthly life. And when you see him doing it, when you see him doing it, the things that you've given up or that you've changed will fade away. Even, even relationships, even things like that. I'm not saying, oh, but you're telling me I need to lose all of my friends. I'm not saying you can't. You have to excommunicate people from your life. You heard about my family member who we still do life together, but they don't have to be the ones that influence your life anymore. I think God is bigger than all those things. But I think we got to get to a place where you and I look at God in our hearts and our minds and our prayer time and we say, today, things are going to change. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for all of these people in this room, all of these people watching online today. God, what an amazing, amazing thing that you care for each one of us. And God, I, I'm just so thankful that you love us so much that you sent Jesus for us, that you give us the opportunity to accept a gift of grace that invites us into your family, that gives us legacy, that gives us purpose, that provides for our needs, that goes before us in the battle, that stands behind us when we're in trouble and guards us from the devil. That you're the kind of God who stands on each side of us and holds us up. God, we're so thankful for you. Would everybody look back up here at me? I just want to share this, and then I'll finish the prayer. I know the world's crazy. I know that people are scared. I know that everything's going on right now, but I want to rewind back into history. There was a time when Israel was overthrown 
by another uh, empire, and they were all exiled outside of their city. Could you imagine if somebody came into the United States and said, pack your things and get out? We think things are bad now, but imagine if that happened. And in that moment, in that time when everybody's in, in turmoil, being in the worst probably situation you could ever imagine in your life, losing everything, hoping that wherever you go, you won't be turned into a slave or have your family split up or be, be killed by other armies or other people who don't want you in their land. In that moment, God gives a word to prophet Jeremiah to tell to all the people. He says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you. Plans for hope and future. Can you imagine hearing that? Yeah, right. That's what you'd want to say. But he did. And God came through. And he brought them back to the land of their forefathers. Abraham, Isaac, and who? Jacob. And if he knew their plan in the middle of that mess, don't you think he knows yours? He knows yours. But you have to make a choice to say, I want to follow that plan. I want your plan for me, not my plan. All right, now bow your heads again. I just felt like I needed to share. Father, we thank you that you do have a plan, that you do have a purpose, you do have a future for us. And today, as Christ followers, God, I pray that we will be motivated and challenged to choose you, to choose you in every situation, to trust you, to know that you have a plan for our lives. And God, I just pray that today we will be the kind of Christ followers that go out and we share that word with everybody who needs to hear it. God, we pray that, I pray that we will be bold and step out when we're in Walmart later today or wherever we are and that we'll give you a chance and that you will move mountains in people's lives because we know when you are for us, none can be against us. With everybody's eyes closed, if you're here and you've never made Jesus Lord of your life and all the things I've talked about today you want in your life as well as knowing that your eternity is sealed in heaven that you can live this life here and live eternity with him. If that's you and you know you want that and you've not made that decision for Jesus, right now with everybody's eyes closed, just lift your hand up. Is there anybody that knows they wanna make that decision in the service today? Okay. As well, if you're watching online, God will meet you right at home, right now. So if you raise your hand or you're at home and you're like, I want that, that's what I need. We're gonna say a prayer together, all together as a family where you declare that Jesus is Lord of your life. The Bible says we need to declare that he is Lord, and we need to believe in our hearts that he really is God, really did rise from the dead, that he really can raise us from the dead too. And so if you make this decision today, you choose every day after this to walk your life out trusting God in that way. So let's pray this prayer together. Everybody repeat after me. Say, Lord, thank you for loving me. Thank you for Jesus, and thank you for forgiveness. Today I choose to make Jesus Lord of my life. I don't want to live my way anymore. I want to live your way. So lead me into the life you created for me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Come on, let's celebrate with people. I'll see you in the foyer.